Good morning. It's good to be with you. If you don't know who I am, I'm Wayne. I'm one of the, the pastors here. It's good that you're with us. If you're watching online, it's good to know that you're joining with us, whether that's today or in the week. You're very welcome uh, to be here. I wonder for all of us, how's your confidence doing? How's it going? Are you building your confidence uh, in Jesus after thinking about being confident, about confidence to being convinced about Jesus and what he accomplished? And we've got Easter coming up, we've got Holy Week coming up, being confident in what Jesus did actually happened and it's to bring us life transformation, uh, about being confident in community that we thought about last week. I wonder if your confidence as a follower of Jesus is starting to bubble up a little bit. Otherwise, I'm wasting my time. (laughs) And let's all just go home. I mean, there's lots of food coming on. We need to go and rest before we eat all this food that's happening, don't we, in the next couple of weeks. But, you know, the reason for this series as we're heading towards Easter is that our confidence as followers of Jesus starts to rise a little bit. And if your confidence as a follower of Jesus is right up there, trust me, you you have not hit a ceiling. There is still more that God wants to do. So it's about praying that our confidence in Jesus, not just when we're gathered together, but when we're out there, when we're not gathered together, when we're in work or we're in the shops or we're with family or social occasions, whatever it is, that our confidence in who Jesus is and that he wants to transform not just our life, but everybody's lives. And that he uses his church, he uses his followers to be able to accomplish that. I guess you like cakes. Now I've got your attention. It took a while, it took a few minutes, but I mentioned the word cakes. You're thinking, has, has Wayne brought cake? Has, when I get to tea and coffee after, will there be cakes that Wayne has brought? No, they won't, I'm afraid. There's no cakes here, but... Many years ago, a a friend of mine in a a church that I was pastoring part-time, he he was a great baker. He was just amazing at baking cakes. They were absolutely fantastic. And he used to make all of the... (laughs) I mean, he loved dogs, he just couldn't eat a whole one, you know? But we'll come on to that. That's a teaser for you there, isn't it? Where was I? Cakes, that's right. He used to make these amazing cakes, and his signature cake was a, was a good old Victoria sponge. Yeah. Let me tell you, the rise that he got on his Victoria sponge, Paul Hollywood would have hugged him, not just giving him a handshake, he would have been all over him for that cake. And he said to me one day, he said, you know what, the secret of my amazing, I mean, he was quite modest, my amazing <laughs> Victoria sponges are. I said, what's that, John? He said, my oven is broken. I said, sorry? How, how do you make cakes like that when your oven is broken? He said, I have no idea. All I know is that the temperature, the thermometer thing on my, the, on my oven, it's either on or off. But I don't know what heat it is. But all I know is it's a great heat for making Victoria sponges. And he said, they come out amazing every single time. He got a new oven, because his oven really was broken. You turned it on, and it was hot. You turned it off, and it went cold. He got a new oven, and his Victoria sponges went from prize-winning to, yeah, they're all right, 
to normal. You know, a rise like the rest of us would get on a Victoria sponge. And he said, you know what? I, I don't know what's wrong with this new oven. But he said, I don't get the consistency that I had in my previous oven. And I've tried different temperatures. I've tried different times of how long I cooked the sponges for. And I cannot get them as good as I could get them with my old oven. I said, I know, John, please get your old oven back. Because these are disgusting. I mean, get some nice cakes going on for us. You see, he just could not get the consistency. From cakes to dogs. Could we put that photo up, please, Robert? That'd be great. Anyway, that's our rescue dog, Nala. We rescued her in lockdown from Serbia. She was living on the streets. She takes a great selfie. That was, that was the morning after we had got her the night before. She takes an amazing selfie, but her recall is awful. Her recall is not consistent. We can let her off and we can call her and sometimes she'll go, okay, I'll come back. And sometimes she almost does that, nah, can't be bothered. And she'll run away. So because of that, because her, her recall is not consistent, we cannot let her off to have a nice free run unless we're in one of those fields that you pay for that you know, you're the only one in it and they can't get out. And if they try to get out, there'll be an electric shock and helicopters will come and everything. You know, they, they cannot get out of that. Not just because they don't have opposable thumbs, but they cannot get out. But her, her recall is not uh, consistent. And consistency, you can get rid of it now so that people look at me and not the dog, but consistency is a difficult thing to achieve. You see that with, with sports teams. One week they're great, the next week they're meh. The following week, they have a shocker. The week after that, they're back up there again. It's, it's all over the place. A good restaurant strives for consistency every time you go in there. But if you know of a great restaurant, I'm sure that you've had a meal that's been only okay. And the next time you've gone in there, it's been fantastic. I think what I love about chocolate bars is everything, really. No, but... <laughs> What I love about a good chocolate bar is the fact that it's, it's the consistency. Every time you open a, a double-decker or a, a star bar or a, for some reason, some people like bounties, but I think they won't be in heaven, I'm just saying that, um, or a dairy milk or other chocolate bars are available, they taste the same every time you eat them. There's a consistency to them, and that's because they're made in factories where they've, they've honed the craft. They've got the machinery that does just the right thing. The ingredients are the same measured out every time, and millions of these come off every year, and there's a consistency to them. But notice consistency does not mean perfection. Because even with those chocolate bars that are pretty consistent... Every now and again, you get a chocolate bar that has thicker chocolate than it should do. For most of us, that's not a problem. But it's because sometimes things go awry. Because even with uh, a factory that's making millions and millions of them, they also struggle with consistency 100%. And because of that, they'll have targets. We, we'll go for 10% scrap or waste or whatever it is or 2%. They know they can't get 100% of 
perfection. But they strive for consistency. My mum was consistent in how she managed her home. She always did a, a Friday big shop. She always cleaned in the same way, downstairs on one day, upstairs on another day. She always did washing in the same way, colours on this day, whites on that day. If you didn't hit that day, you had to wait a week. You really did. She would not change that. She was consistent uh, in her meal planning. So in the spring, every Monday we'd have the same, every Tuesday we'd have the same, and so on and so forth. That would change then uh, to the summer, to the autumn, to the winter. We knew what season it was, not because we had to look outside at the weather or look at our calendars, because of what was on our plate. She was consistent in her parenting. If as a child you said to her, Mama, I don't really like that, you got a look that said, does this look like a face that cares that you don't like that? Because you're going to eat it, and if you don't eat it, you know what will happen? You'll be hungry. And it was, that, that's what it was like. She lived her life with a consistent framework and structure. Her middle name was Elaine, but it just as well as being consistent. Some of you are loving this way of living. You, this is how you live. You can feel a, an amen creeping up inside of you. Some of you are thinking, this is awful. I cannot live with this level of structure, of framework, of consistency. I just like to see, well, we may or may not eat today, and we'll see what's there. Your life is an episode of Ready, Steady, Cook, where you just open and see what's there. Are you a, is it a green pepper or a red tomato or whatever it is? I don't know. Maybe you can think of things in your life that either shows a level of consistency or doesn't. And you see, as we come to today, we continue our series thinking of how we can have confidence in our walk with Jesus. Today we're thinking about how we can have confidence through consistency. And more specifically, how we have confidence through consistent spiritual practices. I want to say as a sidebar, what we're not talking about today is how we gain perfection in something. Consistency isn't uh, the same as perfection. It's not the same thing as, as doing something for, what is it they say, 10,000 hours to become an expert. Consistency doesn't mean we never make mistakes. That's why chocolate bars sometimes have thicker chocolate. Ever bitten into a Kit Kat chunky and it's mainly chocolate? Oh, good days. <laughs> Consistency means you do something over time that has an impact upon you, that becomes natural to who you are. It is part of who you are, which is different from being an expert at something and never making mistakes. And to be specific this morning, we're thinking about being consistent in spiritual practices with the sole goal of growing in confidence in our relationship with Jesus, which will affect how we live. It'll impact our everyday uh, discipleship. And in our last series, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, started as we mean to go on, we, we looked at spiritual practices such as the Sabbath, the silence and solitude, slowing and simplicity. We spoke about how we needed to have that trellis in our life. 
And we're not going to go over those again, but we're going to revisit, we're not going to revisit them, but we're going to, if you like, add to them and expand it a little bit more on that in a moment. So as we start to think about these things, I want to read uh, the story from the Bible that Katie read to us. But don't worry about putting it on the screen. It's a different translation. I'm going to read from a different translation. You see, for many people, these words, the, the wise and foolish builder, are, uh, they're a well-known story of Jesus, especially if you, you were brought up in church from a child. You know, they were taught to children. There were songs about... Some of you are singing the songs in your head now. Some of you are, are thinking of the craft that you do. Some of you are doing the actions with the rains coming down and the floods rising up. and all. See, I am that old. You see, I used to do it as well. It's all going around in your head. But these words are not simply a children's story. For it, becomes, it comes at the end in Scripture of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. These words are a call to take hold of, of Jesus' radical teaching and make it part of our daily lives. And there's a warning to those who hear these words but do nothing about it. Luke's language probably reads a bit stronger on this one when he writes from Jesus' teaching, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? There's an implication here that if we're not doing what Jesus is calling us to, then we have no right to call him Lord. Why are you calling me Lord, Lord, when you just go away and do your own thing? When there's no consistency in how you're living out your relationship with me? When you're just going through the motions, but it's it's not connecting to your heart. And so I want to read, think about this story that Jesus spoke. I'm going to read it from the message paraphrase. And the reason for doing that is because it gives us a different understanding for us here today. And if you've heard this story from when you were knee-high to a grasshopper, it'll give you a different understanding of it, a different perspective. So we read... These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Homeowner improvements to your standard of living. These incidental additions that they're not. Jesus is referring to all that he has spoken about up to this point. All that he has taught about in the Sermon on the Mount. And so in this story with meaning, as how Jesus finishes the greatest sermon of all time, he could have closed off his sermon in a multitude of different ways. And yet he chose to close it off with the story of the wise and foolish builders. You see, the Sermon on the Mount is by far Jesus' longest uh, explanation, his teaching session, of what it looks like to live a follower of Jesus every single day of our lives. How we serve as a member of God's kingdom. In many ways, Jesus' teachings during the Sermon on the Mount represent the major thoughts of the Christian life. For example, Jesus taught about such subjects such as prayer, justice, care for the needy, handling the religious law, fasting, judging other people, salvation and much more. The Sermon on the Mount contains the Beatitudes, that's the Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who thirst and hunger for justice and so on and so forth. The the Sermon on the Mount includes the teaching of the Lord's Prayer. It's all in this sermon. And Jesus has been teaching all of this stuff about what it means to live with confidence. And what it means to live out the Christian faith. And he finishes that sermon off 
is sadly what the church has come to regard as a children's story. Because it ain't no children's story. It's really not. If you've ever been in a hurricane or a tornado, that is no children's story, friends. So he closes this sermon off by really hitting home. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. They're not homeowner improvements to your standard of living. This is not adding another extension. This is not getting a new kitchen. These, they are foundational words. Words to build a life on. Are you with me? Foundational words. Words to build your life upon. And so we're to use the words of Jesus as the foundation to base the structure of the whole of our lives. We can choose to to build our lives on the things of the world, the teachings of the world, the compromises of the world. Or we can allow the words of Jesus to be the foundations of our lives. Jesus says, if you work these words into your life, You are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit. But nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. Can you see why I wanted to read it from that translation? But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a stupid carpenter. If you just use my words in Bible studies and you can quote scripture right, left and centre, you know the Hebrew, you know the Greek, and it's all in here. But when you go out there, you live as if it don't make a jot of difference. You are a stupid carpenter. Just to say there's nothing wrong with studying the Bible. I can see all the DG group leaders thinking, oh, thank goodness for that. But when all you do is study the Bible so that you feel superior, you feel you can quote this, that and the other, you think, yes, I know the Bible. Somebody came up to me once in the church and said, I think we need to get back to the old uh, scripture exams. I said, well, I don't think we do. He said, children today, they don't know the Bible like I know the Bible. And I stopped short to say, no, but you don't live it out, do you? You know the Bible and you use it as a tool to berate other people and to think that you're far better than them because you can quote the Bible. This person even came to my house and told me, I I have some gifts, but I'm not suited to be a minister. Move back to Wales, will you? You see, it was all here. She could quote the Bible far better than I could and I got the ology. But she knew it, inside out, back to front. She could quote verse here, there and everywhere. But as a person, 
She was horrible. She was no Christian. She was no woman of God. Because if all you're doing is using your Bible study to build yourself up, to get more knowledge, you are no better than a stupid carpenter. Can you imagine going to a mechanic who says, yep, I've studied it all. Come into my office. I've got every Haynes car manual ever, ever made. And for those of you who are thinking, what's a Haynes car manual? Just enjoy your youth. (laughs) I've got them all up. I know every single word in those Haynes manuals. And there were hundreds. And so he said, okay, so... What cars have you worked on? Oh, I've never worked on a car. (laughs) I've just studied the manual. Would you leave your car with them? No. You want to go to a mechanic who's got a bit of grease and oil under their fingernails. Who they've got the qualifications, but they haven't even put them on the wall. Because they, they do it. They live it. That's what you want. That's what you want when you're taking your car to somebody. You know, don't just be like people who wear gym gear to take their kids to school but never go to the gym. (laughs) What is it about that? What is it? We wear gym gear to drop our kids off. I don't, just to say. (laughs) Trust me, nobody wants to see me in Lycra in the morning. It's not a good look. It's not a good look any time of the day, let alone in the morning. But we wear gym gear to drop our kids off and we look all sprightly and, yeah, we're going to the gym and now we're going home to have a coffee. <laughs> Be like the person who wears gym gear and has got a bit of sweat on them because they're lifting some weights and they're on a treadmill and they're on a rowing machine and they're working out because that's why you're wearing the gym gear. It's not a, it's not a fashion statement. I love the way the message ends, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause. They had never heard teaching like it. It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying, quite a contrast to their religionly teachers. This was the best teaching they'd ever heard. It was apparent, friends, he was living everything he was saying, quite a contrast to their religion leaders. What a great way to finish and what a challenge because are we religion leaders? Or are we living everything that it says? Are we consistently living our lives by the teachings of Jesus and do we allow these teachings to give us confidence as we live out our faith? Are we living everything that we're saying? I think if we're honest, we find this difficult. If we're honest, I think we have moments where we live this out and moments where we don't. The solution is to be consistent in the spiritual practices. Because, friends, it's in those practices that we will give our walk of faith a level of consistency which in turn will give us confidence. In the the passage that, that Katie read from Colossians, it talks about, you know, let your roots grow deep down in him. In Jesus. Yes, Lord. <laughs> you know, to, to be rooted. And we get rooted in him when we follow the practices. Not out of a sense of duty, but because we need them. 
We need to see that this consistency is no easy overnight fix. Going back to the story uh, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount of the wise and foolish builders, the hearers of what Jesus was saying would have understood what he was talking about. You see, they understood what it was to, to build a house. Maybe they'd had a house built. Maybe they'd built their own house. Maybe they were right in the middle of building their own house, right there and then. And they knew it was slow, hard, methodical work. And to get the house built, they had to be consistent. The house didn't go up overnight. And to have a house withstanding the storm, there had to be a lot of preparation work done. If you speak to any builder who's building a house, they'll say to you, a lot of the money and a lot of the time and a lot of the effort goes in underground. The stuff that you see on the top, that goes up pretty quickly. But it's the stuff underground, the foundations that you need to get right. Because if you don't get that right, however pretty it looks on top, it ain't worth anything. So to be rooted, to be consistent, the slow, methodical work of digging out the mess and the mire and, and putting down deep foundations. That's the hard, slow work. No machinery. It all had to be done by hand when Jesus was talking to these people. And Jesus is saying that this is what it means to be consistent in our walk with Jesus. It's no good studying the Bible and looking like you have all the right answers, can quote passages from the Bible, but never actually live it out. You know, a life of an apprentice of Jesus requires discipline. As Eugene Peterson, author of the message, paraphrased Bible, once said about being a disciple of Jesus, it calls for a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. There's no quick fix, friends. When you see people who run back-to-back marathons, do you think they get up every morning going, woohoo, yeah, let's go? Of course they don't. They get up every morning and think, oh, I don't want to do it. How do they run that day's marathon? By being consistent, by being obedient to the things that they know will get them to the finish line. And they put one foot in front of the other. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we need to be consistent in how we live out what it means to be faith. As a side note to this parable, one thing we need to say is that both these builders were in the same storm. One had a great house. One had a, a house that had no foundations. They were still in the same storm. Building a house with good foundations doesn't mean that you don't get battered by the storm. Doesn't mean you don't use a roof tile, a window doesn't crack in, the, the fence falls over. But it means it stands firm because of what you've rooted it in, in good foundations. So being a follower of Jesus doesn't mean when the storms of life come, when illness comes, when death comes, when persecution comes, when uh, relationship worries come, when financial, doesn't mean that you don't get impacted by those. But it means because you're consistent in the spiritual practices of following Jesus, that you stand firm. You may look like you've been dragged through a hedge backwards, but you stand firm. Whereas if you're not building your life in those consistent spiritual practices, you won't just look like you've been dragged through a hedge backwards, you'll be way behind the hedge. Because you'll be upended, you'll be uprooted. Your life, when the storms come, will not stand because it's not rooted in the things 
of Jesus. So what does it look like? Well, you know what it looks like. It's not rocket science. Why do we complicate the Christian life? It includes the things like daily prayer, some maybe hourly prayer, Bible study, taking time to meditate on what you have read, attending Sunday gatherings, being part of a discipleship group and or accountability groups, being part of prayer triplets. You know, studies have shown that the daily quiet time, which includes prayer and Bible reading, have been in major decline amongst Christians. Because we say we don't have time for it because we're too busy. If that's the case, is it any wonder that we lack confidence in our walk with Jesus? When we are consistent with these spiritual practices, our confidence is built in God and God, and we are prepared for whatever we face in life. You know, there's that saying, isn't there? There's... um, What's it there's, when you've got in a, in a storm and you're walking out? There's no bad weather, there's just inappropriate clothing. And if you've got the right clothing on, the weather out there can be awful, but you'll stand tall. You'll keep walking because you've got the right clothing on. You, know, you, don't, you, you don't go to the Arctic in a shorts and a t-shirt <laughs> because you you're going to die. And friends, we, we don't live out the Christian faith without those foundations, without praying to God, without spending time reading his word. The daily quiet time might seem like an old-fashioned thing to many people, but let me tell you, it's imperative to live the Christian life. And if it's been on decline, well, then we're in a dangerous position. A really dangerous position to be. You know, when you're learning to drive, you learn the pattern of mirror signal manoeuvre. And it feels a little bit odd at first, doesn't it? You don't know where to look. But I guarantee if you're driving, when you leave this place, you will use mirror signal manoeuvre, even if it's just a glance and you don't realise you're doing it. Because it's been consistently drummed into you. And it's just how you do it. And those people that don't do mirror signal manoeuvre, they're the people that have a crash. So when you get in your car and you leave this place, I guarantee you, you're going to do that now. You're going to make sure you do that. But the reason we do it is to keep us and to keep other people safe. The reason we have these consistent spiritual practices of our daily quiet time, of reading God's word, of praying to him, of praying with other people, of gathering together, of being part of small groups, of being part of prayer triplets, accountability, whatever it is, is because they are the spiritual practices, the foundations to our faith that enable us to live and walk with a confidence in Jesus. Amen? So how are you doing with it? A study has shown that while we are all different, we'll all have a different approach to how we implement this into our lives, there's some common themes that we need to enable them to work. And there's three things. They need to be regular. They need to be frequent. They need to be intentional. Regular, it's good when it's the the same time of day. Even in the same place, every single day. Let me ask you, if you've missed 
when you do your quiet time and you say, okay, I'll do it later on in the, in the day. How many times does it not happen? Regular. I could go down something else that's regular at the moment, but that would completely derail us, so I won't. Because we like to be regular, don't we? They need to be frequent. That's every day, or at least every few days. Monthly, friends, is not enough. If you only ate once a month, you would be ill. If you only read your Bible, if you only prayed to God once a month, then there's no, there's no way your relationship with him is going to deepen and grow. And it needs to be intentional. Not out of a sense of duty, but out of a sense of need, of want, of love. We choose to put these practices into our lives. You may be all sorted on this one. If you are, praise God, wonderful. But I suspect many of us find this one difficult. The reason it's difficult is because the enemy will do all he can to stop us building with good foundations. His primary goal, friends, is to draw you away from Jesus. That's it. He's not got a big CV. He's not got a big job description. It's to draw you away from Jesus. And if you can draw you away from spending time with Jesus in prayer and Bible study and all of these spiritual practices, well, then he's rubbing his hands with glee because you are not growing in confidence of walking with Jesus. So how are you doing on this one? You know, friends, maybe you've been doing the same thing for a long time. It's become a bit stale. I'd encourage you to look at your life, the, the life situation that has changed. And in these changes, you've changed. And, and when we change, what we need to do often changes. And if we've been doing the same thing for 30, 40, 50 years, and it's not having any impact upon us now, we need to change that. I will say, if you've been doing the same thing for 30, 40, 50 years, and it's still as fresh and it's growing you with Jesus, praise you and carry on with it. But if you need to change it, as your seasons of life change, change it up. We all have different home environments, different work environments, different seasons of life. And so that means there's no one single approach that works. There's no one size fits all. But we need to find the size that does fit us. And this isn't so that we're legalistic about this or we try to feel guilty if you find it difficult, but rather simply because you want to grow closer and deeper to Jesus, so that when the storms of life come, you have confidence to stand tall in him. Let me close us off, the worship group to come back up. Remember last week I said to you to ask each other what your this time tomorrow is. I want to encourage you to keep doing that. Ask people over coffee, what, what they're this time tomorrow? What, where are they going to be this time tomorrow so that you will pray for them? I also want to encourage you to, to share what works for you. See, the Christian life is, has to be practical. To share what, what works for you in terms of reading God's word, praying to him, all of those kind of things, discipleship groups, all of that, how you grow. How you build those foundations. And do you know what? If, if you're finding that you just can't find something that works for you at the moment, don't hide it. Share it with somebody. Share it with a, a trusted friend that you're finding this really hard. Ask somebody who's older than you, who's at a different 
season of life to you. What did they do when they had young children? What did they do when they were retired? What did they do when they were working 14 hours a day? To share it with each other about what works so that together we can help each other grow in our walks with Jesus. As I was preparing the sermon, I, I got a sense that some of you feel guilty about this. Some of you have struggled with this. Some of you are, are feeling a failure because you, you struggle to have this daily routine in your life. That's the enemy. That's not God. God wants you to, to live this out. God wants you to have it working naturally in your life. I just think God wants to say to you, if this is an area of life that you struggle, what is one small and simple thing you could do this week to start the process? A friend of mine says, you know, we don't need to boil the ocean. Just take a cup. What's the one small step you can take this week? Start that. Maybe it is that as simple as getting up 15 minutes earlier. Maybe it's downloading the Bible up on your phone and listening to it on your way to work. Or maybe in the morning at home, it's turning the TV or the radio off and just allowing God to speak to you. Maybe it's sharing with somebody else that you struggle with this and asking them to pray for you. So as you respond, if you struggle with this, ask God, what is the one small thing you could do to change that this week? And then the other thing I sense is that for some of you, you're diligent. Praise God. You're diligent in your quiet time. But it has become stale. For you as you respond, ask God to show you what one thing could you change this week to Make room for freshness to flood into your time with him. Let's, let's search about, friends. Let's not build our confidence in us, but build it in him. Let's come to him daily and pray to him and read some of his words. Friends, you don't have to get up at four in the morning and spend four hours unless you feel called to. What is it that we read in Matthew that Jesus says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Take up my yoke. It's easy. We need to do these things, friends, so that we grow in the confidence that God knows that we can stand in as we stand in him. So we're going to respond. We're going to sing a song of response. It's called, um, Lord, you have my heart and I will search for yours. It's a a fairly old, delirious song, but the words are beautiful. Can you put the words up, please? Lord, you have my heart, and I will search for yours. As we respond, I just want to challenge you. What do you need to do to search for God today? I'll say it every Sunday. Maybe you need to come forward and somebody will pray with you. Maybe you need to ask somebody where you're sat to pray with you. But our times on a Sunday, friends, they're not, they're not just to make us feel good. 
this so that we respond to the living God. So Lord, you have my heart. Will you proclaim that? Will you truly mean that? Will you search for him today? In your prayer, in your reading, in your gathering, in your discipleship groups, in your prayer triplets, in your accountability. Will you search for him in your life? And allow him to grow your confidence. So as we sing this, just respond in whatever way you want to. Because it's you and God. Let's stand together.